For the week of May 15th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with the organizing director of the National Indivisible Movement in Washington, D.C., Isaac Bloom. And then we chat with Nikki McCraw, founder of Indivisible Bainbridge Island. And then, per usual, we have our dose of good news, followed by our weekly call to action. Isaac Bloom is the organizing director for the National Indivisible Movement in Washington, D.C., and he joins us now to talk strategies for resisting and staying sane during what are pretty insane times. Uh, Isaac Bloom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. For sure. Thanks for having me. So the thing that has most people concerned right now for many reasons is Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey. Um, What what was your reaction to the news at the National Indivisible headquarters uh, when you guys heard about it? I mean, I think we pretty immediately had a very similar reaction to most of the folks who are members. Um, I mean, you know, we have been deeply concerned about um, possible collusion or co- coordination with Russia for a long time. And uh, Comey seemed like the closest thing we had to an independent indiv- uh, investigation into that that coordination. Yeah. Um, Trump's firing of, of Comey, the, the fact that he clearly had not thought it through and then his subsequent you know subsequent conversations that uh revealed that he was at least thinking about russia uh when he did so it, you know they ring a lot of alarm bells for us it, it it looks a lot like a constitutional crisis yeah and i've heard a lot of people saying that there are echoes of watergate so i guess we'll see how this plays yeah. out um i want to discuss some of the strategies that you have laid out on the website uh the national organization has asked for indivisible members to contact their senators and ask them to demand an independent law enforcement investigation into russian interference in the election now If you have a senator, as we do in Washington with Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell, who have already both come out calling for a special independent prosecutor, and you have called and thanked them both for doing so, what Mm -hmm. do you recommend doing further? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the first things is uh, I would encourage them not just to call for a special prosecutor um, or a special investigator, but I think the second piece is that we really need our senators to actually slow down and stop all business in the Senate. Um, And there's two different ways that they can do that. The first is that they can uh, withhold consent um, because senators have the ability to sort of stand up and speak on any given thing at any given time. Uh, Moving business forward in the Senate requires what's called unanimous consent um, to kind of actually move any given bill. So any one senator can actually hold up business in the in the Senate for days on end. Um, So that's the first piece is just slowing things down to a crawl. Um, And then the second piece is that obviously senators hold the continue to hold the power of the filibuster. Uh, And so any crony of Trump's that could be, um, you know, that could be nominated for for the FBI, they need to withhold uh, and stop that nomination until there is an appointment of a special investigator. And the good news there is that it seems like there are at least five Republican senators who are expressing concern over all of this. And so with any luck, Trump won't get his rubber stamped replacement pushed through anytime soon. 
I'd also like to talk about the AHCA vote. Um, there are listeners who live in Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers district here in the state, and she proudly voted for the bill. She trumpeted it out on social media. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a decision. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think she actually might have been even one of the people who was over in the Rose Garden uh, directly afterwards drinking cases of beer. Um, <laughs> she is in a very safe Republican seat. She does not hold town hall meetings. Um, so besides making phone calls, how else should indivisible members in her district push back against her voting for that bill? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, first thing, I, I just want to say one one thing to the safe Republican district. I don't think there is any such thing right now. <laughs> you um, might be right about that, yeah. I, I think we've seen just a, a huge surge in, in sort of the progressive block voting um, in every election we've seen since Trump's, uh, Trump's victory, you know. Um, and so... That's the first thing I, I just want to. I want to encourage folks, particularly our our membership, to be thinking about anywhere and everywhere we should be pressing um, our our legislators to do the right thing. And absolutely, in hard right, you know, deep red districts, we can still make a gigantic impact in those places. So that's that's just one thing to to sort of set the stage. Right. The second thing that I would say is um, we put out a toolkit, um, two two toolkits uh, that I think are really useful for folks. Um, the first is uh, the die-ins uh, toolkit. Um, so folks may have seen this. It's a it's a great um, it's a great piece of theater and has been getting a ton of press all over the country. Yeah. Uh, for a little while it was a it was a picture on the on the New York Times. It was one of the first pictures of the on the New York Times in their video section. Um, but th- these events are designed to allow folks to go out and um, and you know to really illustrate the impact that this vote for this atrocious bill will have on people. Uh, and that will really mean, it'll really mean death and disorder for, for folks all over the country. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you can do at district offices. You don't need the, the representative to hold a town hall. You can actually do this uh, anywhere where you know their staff are going to be. Um, so that's the first one. The second one that uh, has also been, um, I think, a great new tactic that a um, you know, I think we're we're really sort of trying to to push more folks to do is the adopt a district um, toolkit that we put out, where you can ask a member of Congress who voted the right way um, to vote down this you know this atrocious health bill to actually come to um, you know, for instance, Kathy McMorris's uh, district uh, and speak to the people there and talk to them about why this bill is the wrong the wrong thing for America and um, how we can make better decisions as we move forward. Um, so I, I think those are two options as well. You also talk on the site about something called an accountability wall. Uh, can you tell us about that? Oh, can I? <laughs> um, yeah. So the the payback project I think is um, is a really exciting new uh, thing that we we've launched and have um, we've been doing that in um, in association with a number of other organizations. So move on town hall project and the women's march. Um, to showcase just the amazing work that folks are doing across the country to hold the 217 representatives who voted for Trump Care accountable. And I think this this project is important in a few different ways. One, it's just a one-stop shop for press and media to find images and, you know, sort of video and testimonials uh, from every district all over the country. Um, And it's incredibly powerful. Um, So I think that's the first piece. The second piece is I think people join Indivisible in part to feel less alone. I, I think it's, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think it's a really powerful thing to know that other people share your dismay 
share your concern, share your hope for a better future for our country. Um, and in a lot of places, that's not something that people feel comfortable talking about. You know, for folks who don't live in, in New York or D.C. Or, or even for folks who, who do, um, knowing that there are other people out there who feel the same way that you do and are motivated to take action is really powerful. And so for folks who, who are sort of feeling like, gosh, I don't know if we can kind of keep this going, who are, who are struggling a little bit with the momentum, I think it's really powerful to be able to look at the Payback Project and see people just like yourself all over America doing this work and just making a huge impact. Absolutely. And I, I will actually say that over the course of doing this show, I've talked to a number of people in very red districts across the state. And the one thing that they uniformly say is, I don't feel so alone, even if they're, you know, proportionally smaller than the rest of the representation in their district. They get together and they meet and they're like, oh, thank God. I'm, it's not just me. Uh, yeah. There are other people yeah. who are feeling the outrage. So um, I have a specific question about uh, our representative here in the 8th District. Uh, he's Dave Reichert, uh, and our group, uh, Indivisible Washington's 8th District, led by Chris Petzold, uh, we lobbied Reichert especially hard to vote no on the health care bill. And after he had voted twice to repeal without a replacement, he ultimately did wind up voting no at the very last minute on the bill that wound up passing. A lot of people suspect that it it was good, but a lot of people suspect that he only did it because it was politically safe for him to do so. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, how does the indivisible movement advise on how to address something like that? Do we thank him for doing the right thing, even if it was most likely for the wrong reasons? Yeah, I mean, so that's a great question, and I'm really glad you asked it. Just from a strategic point of view, Anytime a representative does the right thing, you want to make them feel like they did the right thing, and they, you want to make them feel like people know it. Minimally, the thing that representatives care the most about is their own skin and whether or not they're going to get reelected. So when they do the right thing, by publicly thanking them as much as possible, they know that voters out there know that they did the right thing this time around. The important thing, though, is also to clearly let him know that you, we expect him to do the right thing in the future. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, um, there's a difference between pressure and persuasion. Persuasion is the part where you're saying, thank you so much for doing the right thing. And we totally look forward to working with you in the future to do the right thing on an ongoing basis. Um, and pressure is the thing where you're going back in and saying, do the right thing or else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It turns out that it's really hard to go back to persuasion from pressure. Right. And so I think the longer we can stay in a place of persuasion with these folks, the better. That said, we'll never shy away from putting pressure on them and pushing them to do the right thing um, or holding them accountable for bad votes, as we're doing across the country with the 217 folks who voted the wrong way. But for folks who did do the right thing, whether it was for political expediency or, you know, because they actually are good human beings, either way, let's make sure that they are publicly thanked so that they know that, you know, folks have their back for the next time they are going to be put in a tough spot like this. Yeah. So the administration and the GOP Congress are attacking on numerous fronts. Pretty much every mm-hmm. day they are attacking health care. They're attacking immigrants' rights. The Trump administration seems to be attempting an unprecedented power grab with the Comey firing. How do you recommend combating what I have come to refer to as outrage overload uh, and stay focused? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, one, uh, you know, I, I think it's always good for for any given individual to to sort of pick the issues that they care the most about 
and be ready to kind of uh, work particularly on those. I, I just think that that's a good thing for everybody to do, to just know what are the things that move you in particular. Right. The second thing is, you know, from just a strategic perspective, that's one of the biggest values that I think that the National Organization of Indivisible can offer. We can often give strategic advice on what are the most important things to focus on in a given, you know, time period, just because we have the benefit of, you know, actually sort of seeing the whole field and spending our time on this full time. Yeah. Um, so that's the second piece is just looking to, you know, looking to us for, for guidance on that and toolkits and, um, you know, opportunities to take action. And then the third piece is, you know, activist work is a little bit like exercise. The more you do it, the more capacity you have for it. You know, anytime you exercise a muscle, it gets stronger. Uh, and so, at least in my experience, the more you take action and the more you see real results, like you have there in the eighth with Reichert, the more you're kind of able to really think to yourself, yeah, I can make a difference on this and really kind of do more. And so, I would just encourage people to do as, as much as they feel capable of doing, take care of themselves, watch out for their families and, and their own time. But, you know, the more you do it and the more you, you see it work, kind of the more you're able to do. Yeah. To extend the metaphor about exercise, it really is a marathon and not a sprint. And a marathon mm-hmm. takes it. I've I've run a couple and it takes uh, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of training. It takes a number of ice baths along the way to kind of keep you, uh, you know, feeling yeah. like your muscles aren't going to fall off. Um, so one right. last question. Since you're with the leadership of Indivisible, uh, the, the movement, is, as you know, you mentioned earlier, it's inspired millions of people across the country. Um, and I'm curious how you all see the movement evolving and where it's ultimately going. Um, the Tea Party essentially turned into the Freedom Caucus. Do you envision the movement going in that direction legislatively? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a couple pieces to it. One is that I, I think it's absolutely amazing what Indivisible has created. And it, it's funny that we refer to the to Tea Party a lot because Indivisible is far larger than the Tea Party ever was. Um, I, I think we have a real opportunity to push the entire the entirety of sort of, you know, the Democratic fixtures and, and, and really the politics in the U.S. left as a whole. Um, and that's really powerful. That That's really the ultimate impact of what happened with the the Tea Party is that they really pushed politics in the U.S. further right than they had ever been. Um, and they really pushed the middle further right, too. Yeah. And I think there's a real uh, opportunity for us to to kind of, you know, start to really win some of that ground back and, and really move things back towards further, not just the center, but really further left around things that people just everyone cares about, whether it's health care or, you know, better wages or, um, you know, an environment that uh, is not toxic you know, I, I think there are just tons of issues out there that people can really actually agree on and that we are really the voice of reason on. The second thing, and this is hugely powerful, is that the thing that made the Tea Party powerful was that they pushed hard from the right and they moved everybody to the right because they had people out in the field and they knew that they could field real primary um, opponents. They could actually turn out tons of people to work on campaigns. They could make real impacts in elections. And absolutely, uh, representatives all over America are taking notice of Indivisible and thinking that exact same thing about us. We are going to be the people who are going to be able to push candidates uh, and campaigns further to the left just by the sheer power of people. Um, and that that is incredibly powerful. So as we're looking forward over the course of the next couple of years, our job is to provide resources and tools and support um, and guidance 
to folks out in the field to be able to work with them, to be able to provide everything that they need to be able to keep this push moving forward. And then I think we're only going to continue to kind of build our own infrastructure and, and be able to be a, an ongoing movement that's really going to make a huge difference um, as we sort of move forward. So our goal is nothing less than a, a truly powerful progressive movement that makes real impact on both elections and on policy. Um, and I think we are already there on policy and we're hoping to do the same around elections too. Well, that's a perfect place to leave it. Uh, Isaac Bloom, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us on the program. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Time now for this week's call to action. But first, as we do, let's have some good news. First, down California way, the L.A. City Council unanimously approved a resolution calling for an investigation into Trump's possible violation of the Emoluments Clause. That's an impeachable offense, I might add. Other cities that have filed similar measures include Cambridge, Massachusetts and Charlotte, Vermont. Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, you guys want to hop on board? Also, over 20 state attorneys general are now calling for deputy attorney general and, depending on how things go, possibly soon to be actual attorney general Rod Rosenstein to appoint a special counsel in the federal investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Those state's attorneys general include our very own Bob Ferguson, who, in another bit of good news, also pledged to protect our national monuments here in the state. He sent a letter to the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zink, opposing a potential rollback of national monument protections ordered by you-know-who. Ferguson said basically that neither the president nor the secretary had the authority to do anything of the sort. And now for this week's call to action. So, look, gang, I don't believe I'm being hyperbolic, and I know that I am not alone when I say that it is quite possible that the very future of our nation hangs in the balance. Therefore, what we do right now, this very second, matters. And so, our call to action, both yours and mine, is to call our members of Congress and ask that they demand an independent special prosecutor to investigate Trump's ties to Russia. Some of our state's representatives have been pretty silent on the matter, and it is up to us to tell them that if they're not speaking out, they're not representing us. Representation is in their job title. Call them. Call them again and keep calling. And as far as our two senators go, let's pressure them to do more. They have already pledged to call for the special prosecutor, and that's great. Let's encourage them to slow all Senate business down until someone is in place. Tell them that we, their constituents, have their backs. Here's the bottom line. Your actions, yours, yes, you specifically, your actions matter right now. So let's do this. And that is this week's Call to Action. My guest, Nikki McCraw, is the founder and leader of Indivisible Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge is a place that, as we know, is unique to our region, both in terms of its geography and in terms of its political cohesiveness, both of which Nikki and I talk about. But Nikki has a compelling personal story, and so I started out our conversation by asking her if, previous to starting her Indivisible group, she had any experience in activism or politics. 
You know, I haven't been involved in politics too much. I consider myself a little bit of a political junkie. I love politics. So I read about politics a lot. I watch a lot of political shows. I've been involved in activism before. I came out when I was 18 and living in rural Mississippi. And, um, you know, that was about as fun as you might imagine it to be. And uh, I became very active in LGBTQ community pretty immediately. So I went to college. Um, No one in my family had been to college. I didn't really know anybody who had been to college. I was in a high school that had 123 people and three of us went to college. Um, And after I went to uh, college, I decided to go to law school because that seemed like the easiest way to a route out of the South. And during my college years, I became involved in the LGBTQ community, and I started uh, the first law review that was dedicated to LGBTQ issues. And um, I really started doing a lot of activism work then in law school. I helped found a, uh, a nonprofit that was dedicated to providing uh, legal services to people living with AIDS. This was in the in the mid 80s. And I've and I've just been involved in LGBTQ issues since that time. And so that's really where my activism has been up until uh, my work with Indivisible. So you do bring some some good experience uh, and sounds like some hard-won uh, experience as well. Uh, and I also would like to bring up the fact that you have some health issues that affect your joints, and yet you also are a big runner. Uh, you do half marathons. Uh, I would imagine that the kind of determination that you have to use to power through a lot of the pain and obstacles maybe informs what you do as an activist, Yeah. I think it does. And, you know, because I'm a tad competitive, I have to say that, yes, I I do run half marathons, but I did my first marathon. Um, Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I did that on my 50th birthday. I'm 52 now. And for my 50th, I decided I wanted to run a marathon. And so I ran the L.A. marathon. And that was that was really great. And um, I am very goal oriented and uh I think those who know me would agree that I'm a tad stubborn. And I think that those a combination of those things helps me in my running and in my activism. So I uh, definitely uh, love to create a goal and um, long-term goals and then break that down into shorter-term goals. And I think that plays out in both my running and helps me deal with my health-related issues, and I think it has it has uh, been a, a good way to break down my activism goals as well. Well, you bring a lot of skill, natural skill sets to what you're doing. You're also the assistant VP of HR at the University of Washington Medicine, so uh, managing people comes naturally to you. I figure a number of those skills have come in handy uh, managing your indivisible group as well, yeah? I think they have. Um, I do love to uh, manage people. People, I I joke with my indivisible group that I'm a bit of a control freak, and that that's there's a little bit of joking in that, and a little bit of truth in that. Uh, I I do like managing people. I find that this group actually manages itself fairly well, which is surprising to me because we're now. Um, I, I looked just before we talked, and we're now at a 
1,002 members. Oh, you passed um, the the, the 1,000 mark. Good for you. That's bro- awesome. We broke the mark. And um, I, I, I thought that it would be a lot more like herding cats. And this group actually manages itself fairly well. But managing people um, is a big part of it, and just in terms of thinking ahead into what we want to do and how do we want to run our meetings and what would be helpful for the group. And I do think some of the skills from my work uh, uh, play into the, the skills that I use in managing this group as well. Well, that sort of speaks perhaps to maybe the political cohesiveness about uh, Bainbridge Island itself. Um, I know that it tends to be pretty liberal there. I know that uh, our Governor Jay Inslee lives there. Tell us a little bit about the politics and issues that are specific to Bainbridge. Well, Bainbridge is pretty progressive. It's also a fairly affluent um, and well-educated group um, on the island. There are about 23,000 people on the island um, the issues that I find in our group that people have really that have really resonated with people in our group are um, environmental issues. People there are very concerned about the environment and climate change. Uh, people are passionate about ensuring that every American has adequate health care. Uh, I find that people are very concerned that people do not lose their civil rights under this administration, and that may play out in a variety of ways. Women's yeah. rights to choose, immigrants' rights, LGBTQ rights. And as I said, it leans very progressive. So not everyone in our group uh, is a Democrat. Um, Isn't I, that I interesting? And that is, is actually very uh, common among indivisible groups that, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as monolithically uh, Democrats, and yet there are independents. There are even mm-hmm. the, the occasional Republican who pops in who is just very, the, the, a lot of them, is said they feel abandoned by their party. So Exactly. And I, I know that a number of people in our group are not Democrats. Many of them have, have told me that. But those who are Democrats or are progressives, I think, really want to see the Democratic Party move to a much more progressive stance. I think that is something that is pretty universal throughout our indivisible group. That's a pretty common theme for our group. Well, so talk about the way that your group works specifically. Do you have agenda items that you then meet about and talk about how you are going to interact with, say, your uh, Congressman Derek Kilmer or our senators? How do you generally work it? Well, we we do a couple of things. So uh, once a week, I send out action items, you know, first and foremost. We are an action-oriented group, so I remind people from time to time, yes, we have a Facebook page, but our Facebook page is not intended for you to just go on and read a bunch of articles and use your angry emoji. The Facebook page is there because that's where we post the action items, and first and foremost, the, your job is to engage in the action items. So I post the, the action items once a week. I also send them out by email because not everyone loves Facebook. Um, so we engage in those action items. We also um, have some events that people uh, participate in. Give us some examples of some events that you've uh, done with your group. Uh, you know, there is a group that... Uh, has been participating in, um, gosh, gosh, I, I won't, I, 
I believe they call them uh, Tuesday rallies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they yeah, I think it's they, resist Trump Tuesdays is the hashtag on Twitter. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> that's it. I couldn't remember the name of it because I, I work full time in Seattle, so I don't get to participate in that one. But they have rallies at uh, the federal building uh, every Tuesday at uh, 1130. And then afterwards, they go up and they meet with the staffers for Senators Murray and Cantwell. And that has been really helpful. We've gotten a lot of great information from the staffers. We we have great working relationships with them now. That led to one of uh, Senator Murray's staffers coming and uh, speaking at one of our month put on. We we have other events, uh, but th- that's one of them that's that's fairly well attended. We also have a monthly meeting that I would say probably 150 or so members attend our monthly meetings. And the first couple of meetings, it was just us. I would lead the meetings through different agenda items as we were setting up how we wanted to operate. The last couple of meetings, we've had speakers come. We had a staffer from Senator Murray's office come one meeting and talk to us about um, some issues that we had questions about and wanted to talk over. Yeah, t- tell me about that meeting. I'm, I'm curious to hear what uh, how that went down. It was interesting. It was just before what we thought was going to be a vote on the first Trump care bill. And we were contacted or I was contacted by uh, Senator Murray's staffer. And she asked if she could attend one of our meetings because she wanted to hear our stories and concerns with the potential repeal of the ACA. And so most of the discussion was around um, the ACA. We had several members. I, I had arranged for several members to talk about their healthcare concerns, and I, I talked about mine as well. We also talked about our concerns about uh, potential collusion with Russia and the investigations into that. Um, I believe we talked some about Trump's tax returns and, uh, you know, I, I tried to keep that in an organized fashion so that uh, people could get questions answered and it wasn't just sort of a free-for-all. So we, those were the topics that we covered. So Bainbridge is in the 6th District, which means mm-hmm. that your congressman, as I said earlier, is Derek Kilmer. Yes. Uh, he's, a, he's a Democrat, so he shares a lot of the same values as the Indivisible Movement. Uh, how have you interacted with him? You know, Derek Kilmer does a fantastic job of holding town halls. So he uh, he is out and about quite a lot. Uh, he held a town hall two and a half months or so ago, and it kept the, the size of the space kept growing. I think they had to change the location three or four times before they finally put it into one of the movie theaters on Bainbridge because that's the largest space on Bainbridge. Um, (laughs) And it was standing room only. So, you know, many members attended there. His uh, staff is also very open in meeting with us and talking with us. Uh, He is very responsive to emails, calls, he is just a, a great representative, and we have a, a great working relationship with him. So what future events do you have planned uh, with your group? Well, we have, um, you know, we have our next monthly meetings coming up. Um, we are actually in the process. It's funny that you asked that. I, I just asked our members what they would like to, to plan going forward. 
So um, we're in the process of asking ourselves that question right now. So beyond our monthly events and the uh, rallies on Tuesday, we don't have anything planned right now, but we're in the planning process. So stay tuned for that. You can always find out what we're doing on our Facebook page. Terrific. Well, Nikki McCraw, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that is it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. As always, please keep the thoughts and feedback coming. Email me at WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Also, do check out our Facebook page. You can find it at, appropriately enough, by entering Washington State Indivisible Podcast into the search function. You know the drill. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Isaac Bloom and Nikki. Nikki McCraw, and thanks to you as always for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.